0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. What is church? Is it a building? With some pews? A piano? And stained glass? Or is it something more? 2,000 years ago, the church was born. It wasn't made up of the famous, the rich, or the powerful. It was made up of everyday people who passionately believed in the message of Jesus. It was the beginning of a revolution of love and freedom that would change the world forever. In 369 AD, the church built the first hospital as a place to care for those who cannot care for themselves. Today, the church is the largest single provider of health care in history. The church was the first to stand up for the rights of children creating the first and largest orphanage system in the world. 100 out of the first 110 universities in America were founded as Christian institutions. Places like Harvard, Dartmouth, Yale, and Princeton. Much of the world's greatest art, architecture, literature, and music has been shaped by the church. But the impact of the church isn't just ancient history. Today, the church is stronger than ever and continues to impact every corner of the world. Over 300,000 churches in America and almost five million churches around the world stand ready to be instruments of change, to do what governments could never do. Every day, the church brings food and fresh water to millions of people across the world. It has a renewed passion to help widows and orphans and fights to free slaves in every part of the world. It stands ready as a first responder on the scene to provide relief for victims of disaster. The ripple of Jesus' impact can be clearly seen and felt in the church today. And it's made up of people like me and you. Today, you didn't just come to a building. You came to a revolution 2,000 years in the making. The world is facing as much trouble as ever. But we are not afraid. We were created for such a time as this. We will continue to do what we've always done. Proclaim the message of Jesus to help a world that needs him so desperately. Welcome. 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 Welcome to church. How good is that? One of the, it reminds me that one of the tricky parts of being a Christian is that you're not supposed to brag. But sometimes... It's important to speak of things that people need to know, even if it comes across as maybe being prideful. I think so. And you know what? I can even back that up scripturally, because Paul writes, but may it never be that I should boast. So he establishes that boasting is less than desirable, and you shouldn't do it, because Jesus didn't boast, and he was very humble, and we want to be like Jesus, except in the cross of our lord jesus christ through the, which the world was crucified to me and i to the world and since the church exists as a result a direct result of the cross of jesus christ we can brag about the church just like they did in that video and so did you know that by the way those things that they said in that video is that not amazing did you know that the first hospital in th- on this continent was founded in mexico you know what it was called the Hospital, excuse me, working my Spanish here. The Hospital de Jesus Nazareno. The Hospital of Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth specifically. The second hospital to be founded in North America was founded by three Augustinians from France in Canada. You know, I don't, I think they said in that video that the church is the largest healthcare provider in human history. Isn't that amazing? But I guess it's not that big a deal. Unless you're sick. Did you know that also that that the first orphanages were founded in the first century B.C. by the Orthodox Church? They were called, what were they called here? Orphanotropia. Isn't that something? I guess, sort of, maybe, maybe not. Unless you're an orphan. But... Also, look, let's just continue the list that they made in the the video. It was the universities in the United States. 100 out of the first 110 of them were founded by people out of the church. Let's take Princeton, for example. They had four founders. Three of them graduated from Yale. One of them graduated from Harvard. Four of them, all four, were pastors. Listen to one of these quotes. It's a quote from one of the founders of Princeton. They said, Though our great intention was to erect a seminary for educating ministers of the gospel, yet we hope it will be useful in other learned professions, ornaments of the state, as well as the church. Therefore, we propose to make the plan of education as extensive as our circumstances will admit. But first, we want to educate ministers of the gospel, and the other stuff like science and things, that too. It's interesting. Yale, Harvard, Dartmouth, Brown, all of them had their founding origins from those who came out of or were inside of the church. The influence of the church has spawned what we now know today to be the Ivy League, which not that big a deal, really, unless you're seeking knowledge. And the video also talked about the fact that some of the most beautiful, critically acclaimed and universally acknowledged works in the history of architecture, art, literature, and music have been thro- born out of those who were among the church. Which is not that big a deal, unless you're interested in beautiful things. The, this this is this right here, this is called The Story of Christianity. It's a book by Justo Gonzalez, And it covers, it says, the church, the early church to the present day. So it's long and <laughs> It's got very fine print, and it's detailed, but at the same time, I think you'd be proud in reading it. You'd also be amazed by the scores of people that were counted and are counted among the church from places that we will never go to. It talks about the impact of the church and its spread throughout the world and its central message. It's a long and detailed book, but I think that if you read so much as three chapters of it, you'd walk away encouraged and humbled because the church is vast. It is merciful. It is powerful. It is loving. And at times, it is fearless. To study the history of the church is to grow in courage because we get to see, as we look back in time, we get to see outside of ourselves, outside of the current affliction that we might have. Outside of the, the problems that we face as a United States or problems that we face as individuals. Because we get the chance to see that it's all been done before by people just like us, long before there was an US, long before there even was a United States. United States, it's funny. The church is so influential that its principles helped to found the nation that we benefit from and enjoy today. And you kind of hear that from evangelical people, and it sounds like they're just making it up. Well, I I researched it, and it can be easily demonstrated that a high percentage, in fact, the overwhelming majority of the founding fathers were Christians, but certainly not all of them were. because And we hear about those, specifically Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, and Thomas Paine. They were not what you would call overly religious, but you don't really hear anything about the prominent Christians among the founders. For example, 29 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence had what are equivalent today to seminary or Bible degrees. And the, the, the vast majority of the other signers of the Declaration of Independence were outspoken and bold about their Christian faith. Significantly, and you'll find this interesting, not one, not one of the founding fathers of this nation was secular in his orientation. Even Thomas Paine, who was largely considered to be the least religious of the founding fathers, he openly acknowledged God and announced his belief in his personal accountability to him. You like America? Well, the parts of it that you do like, you can thank the influence of the church for. Look, if you read your family history, you you would walk away from it, just a part of it, And you would look at it and go, I'm a part of that. We're going to look at the church today. We're going to ask two questions. And this is the purpose of this sermon. It is to ask, what is the church? And what am I doing here? Two very basic questions. That's why I'm preaching. And that's what we're going to focus on. It's super simple. Okay. So let's start. What is the church? Well, I think, for me, in the way that I learn, sometimes it really helps me to get a look at what things are not in order to get an idea of what they are. So I'm going to give you examples of three things that the church isn't. And I'm going to start with this. What is that? Uh, uh, It's an Apple. Well, it's the logo for Apple Computer Company. And it was founded... By this guy. That's Steve Jobs. And you know what he said? He said that he wanted to make a ding in the universe. Well, that is, that's very ambitious. And I'm not sure that he did, you know, as the universe, but he definitely put an impact on, on the world and on us. I mean, look, if you would, here's the thing. If, if the life of Steve Jobs was a, 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 a raindrop, okay, It's a heavy one. And the ripple of his life is still expanding. So look, just as an example, how many of you have an iPhone? If you have an iPhone, take it out and turn it on and then just point it at me. Look at that. It's like a bunch of little stars. So beautiful. I love it. But... Apple made and has made cool stuff that has made our lives in some ways easier, more fun, and definitely in some cases more beautiful. But it's not all because Apple's a company with people. And, that, and those people are a part of a culture, a, a vision, and a mission. They're out to do something and accomplish something together. And if you've ever start, tried to be a part of leading or developing a culture, you know that it's very hard to do. And Steve Jobs did it. Apple is quite a company. What about this man? He's not near as well known as Steve Jobs, but he is highly influential in certain circles. His name? Ernest Becker. He is one of the most gifted and insightful people this country has ever seen. He is a cultural anthropologist, and he is an author. Here's a screenshot for the Ernest Becker Foundation. Now, you might ask, what is the... What's the mission or the purpose of the Ernest Becker Foundation? Get ready to to have your mind blown. (laughs) The Ernest Becker Foundation seeks to illuminate how the unconscious denial of mortality profoundly affects human behavior, giving rise to acts of hate and violence as well as noble, altruistic striving. Whoa. I love his work. So that's heavy stuff. Nevertheless, the point is, is that the Ernest Becker Foundation exists right now because his writings were so influential. People from all over the world have been impacted by what he thought and said and believed and found out. If, if the life of Ernest Becker was a raindrop, the, the ripple from the impact of his existence still has an impact. It's still growing. What about this man? I mentioned the founding fathers earlier, and Thomas Jefferson is certainly one of them. Interestingly enough, though, when we consider all of the contributions that he made to our nation, and they are numerous, what he wanted to be known for was his founding of the University of Virginia. It's hard to walk around Charlottesville, where the UVA is, and not think about Thomas Jefferson. I mean, it's a beautiful campus. And I just, I've been there and walked around and thought about him while I was there. And it's almost like you expect to see his initials carved in trees. TJ was here. You know, but everyone, every student who graduates or attends there for one day is impacted by the life of Thomas Jefferson, by his thinking. He was a genius of a man. And if his life were a raindrop, it would be a heavy one. The ripple from the impact of his life on the pond of this world is still expanding. So, let's take a quick second to consider the legacies that these men left behind. Apple is a computer company. The Ernest Becker Foundation is a foundation. And the University of Virginia is a university. So, what's the church? Because it's not a company. We don't, we don't make stuff and then sell it or offer services and sell those. We're not a university because nobody here gets a degree. And we're not a foundation Because we don't do whatever it is foundations do. So, but there is, however, a common variable. And it has to do with their beginnings. They're all founded by influential men. Which is why Apple is Apple. Which is why the Ernest Becker Foundation is the EBF. Which is why the University of Virginia is the UVA. It's also why the church is the church. The difference is in the founders because a founder has a nature. He has a a character, and he has a purpose. And if we're to know anything about the church, it is a requirement to examine its leader, its inspiration, its founder. So in the job that I've had in the past, say, three years, one of the things that I got to do was to recruit talent for specific government work that was completely outside the realm of anything that I knew the first thing about. Um, I worked in a science company. You don't think that's funny because you don't know me. Um, my, <laughs> let's just say this. My cousin doesn't let me add golf scores. Okay, so anyway. In that process of recruiting people to do specific jobs, I got to look at their resumes. I looked at—I don't know how many resumes. Indeed, was my homepage. I just resumes, resumes, resumes. One of the cool things about a resume is that they almost always have a background, and then they have a list of qualifications. Why don't we take a second to look at the background of Jesus Christ? Why don't we, for a second, look at his resume? Look at his, at the CV of Jesus Christ. So here's his background. He was born over 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. He is of Jewish descent and he was born into a lower income family, but his parents were married and they were dedicated to each other. So he grew up in a stable home. He lived in Egypt when he was a child and then he moved back to Nazareth in Israel. We know that from a young age, he had impressive insight and then he grew into manhood. He was a carpenter. He had a dizzying, staggering, remarkable intellect. And then around the age of 30, he became more widely known as a teacher. And the topics he taught on included money, heaven, mortality, the law, hell, marital relationships, God, history, and the Bible. But it was his teaching on one subject in particular that he became widely known for. Does anybody have a guess what that might be? Himself. Every good resume has a list of qualifications, and Jesus taught about his on a regular basis. I'll read them to you from his resume, or you can read along with me. It's in Colossians chapter 1. So if you go to verse 15, we're going to look at the qualifications on the curriculum vitae, on the resume of Jesus Christ. This is fairly important in establishing what the church is. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. Image meaning, let's take about that for a second. The word is taken from the Greek and it's spelled E-I-K-O-N. And from it we take and have made the, word, the English word icon, which means image or likeness, copy. What Paul is saying here when he says that he is the image of the invisible God, Paul is pointing out that Jesus is both the representation and the manifestation of God. Thus, he is fully God in every way. And this is interesting right here. The firstborn of all creation, that does not mean that he was created. That right there, the firstborn of all creation, that's used by cults. For instance, like the Jehovah's Witness. They take that and then they stick it and they say, see, Jesus had a beginning. He was made. Firstborn of all creation, first of all, logically, as we go through the resume, it doesn't make any sense. If you're going to read literally the next thing on the resume, it doesn't make any sense to say that he had a beginning, that he was created. It makes no sense at all. But what it's saying here is that the firstborn of all creation, that means it's a title of honor, that he is first among and above everything. So here's everything that is, and he is above it. It's a title of honor for him it it means that he holds first place over everything that he is preeminent over everything and that preeminence you're going to see that repeated on this this list of qualifications significantly so then moving on for by him all things were created so think about that this is a man by whom all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. This piece here, the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, that's talking about various ranks or categories of angels. And it doesn't specify whether or not these angels are holy or whether or not they are fallen because he's lord of both. All things have been created through him and for him. As God, Jesus created the material and the spiritual universe for his pleasure and his joy. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Again, he is before all things that establishes his preeminence, and in him all things hold together. That means that he literally sustains the universe. If you're new to the whole Christian thing and you're sitting here going, wait a minute, what? Are you talking about a little Jew that lived 2,000 years ago who was born in a manger? You're saying that he created the universe and then currently holds it together. Yes. So that we're clear. That is what we are saying. Moving on. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Head, first place, firstborn. That firstborn from the dead, it means that no matter in history or moving forward, that no matter who is resurrected, Jesus Christ is supreme over them all. For it was the Father's good pleasure for the fullness to dwell in him. This refers specifically that that all, not part, not metaphorically speaking, that the whole, the entirety of the divine, both attributes and power, are in him. And through Jesus Christ... Through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Look at this. Look at these qualifications for a minute. Consider the qualifications of Jesus Christ. Because if we're going to know what we are, it's important that we know something about our founder. And if he is all of those things, think about this for a second. If he is all of those things, if we stack that CV, that resume, next to Steve Jobs, Ernest Becker, or Thomas Jefferson, you do understand, those resumes don't exist without that one. But if you looked at Steve Jobs' resume, his qualifications, if you looked at everything that he was, if you looked at Thomas Jefferson, (sighs) these men had something that they wanted they had a use for their qualifications that were pointed in a particular direction look at this look at these qualifications what does he want what is he going to do with that power what is he going to what is he going to pour his life into what is his life's work what will his legacy be you are sitting in it it is sitting in you. It's the church. Look, with qualifications like that, he could, have, he could have chosen anything. He could have chosen anything, any target he would have hit. He could have done any variety of things to show his nature and his power and his glory. And if you think about it, we've often submitted various plans or thoughts for him to consider. Maybe you should do this, Jesus. But he chose the church. This founder has a nature. You might say he is a visionary. He sees things that others don't see. But I guess it could have been different. But since he is the way that he is, I'm not so sure. The only way it could have been other than what it is would be for him to be different than what he is. And thank him he's not because he put those qualifications he took them and he put them to use in a mystifying way he is a he's a metaphysical genius because after his death after his burial and after his resurrection he left physically jesus left and that's a fact he ascended into heaven but there's a, there's a little bit of a wrinkle or a detail that we should pay attention, attention to as it relates to that departure. Let's go back to Colossians 1 where we find those resume qualifications. And listen, if I'm boring you, please don't, don't this is the part, please don't leave yet. Okay, stay with me. Just for, we're almost done. You can do it. I believe in you. We're not. We can make this. Okay, so let's go here. So this is Paul writing, and he says this, of this church, meaning those who follow Jesus, of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me, on me, for your benefit, so that I might carry out the preaching of the Word of God. That is the mystery. Right there. If you're reading this for the first time or the hundredth, you should immediately think and ask yourself or ask the text wait, what? There's a mystery? What? The mystery that has been hidden from the past ages and generations. A mystery that's been hidden. And what is it? You would ask. But now it's been made manifest. It has been manifested to his saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. What are the riches of the glory of this mystery? What is this mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is not spiritual, lightweight talk, like the Spirit of Jesus is floating around like something that floats. This is saying that Christ, the the one who has that resume, indwells the one who believes in Him. This is amazing because the Old Testament predicted the coming of the Messiah. It predicted that a Messiah would come and that non-Jews would partake of this salvation. But the Old Testament did not reveal that the Messiah would actually live in each member of his redeemed church. The glorious revealed mystery is that believers, both Jews and Gentiles, would have Jesus Christ in their body. Jesus for the sake of his name, he went He went all in on people. I mean, you might have done it differently. I might have done it differently. But he's not like us. You see, because he is the way he is, he saved us. Because he is the way he is, he heals the sick. Because he is the way he is, he rescues orphans. Because he is the way he is, he reveals knowledge. Because he is the way he is, he makes beautiful things, which really isn't that big of a deal, I guess, unless you're sick, unless you're lost. Because he is the way he is, he found it unacceptable for us to remain in the lost, sick, ignorant, ugly estate that is our wretched sinfulness. It was unacceptable to him because of the way that he is. And so, existing from eternity past he took on a man suit skin flesh and bones and then he took on a beating for a debt that we could never hope to repay for the sake of his name and his glory he decided as a matter of his own will that with the qualifications that only he possesses he decided to tie his name and his glory to those that would fall on him in total surrender. With those qualifications, he could have done it any way he wanted, and he chose the church. He wanted a people of his own possession that he would call out of darkness and bring into his marvelous light. He wanted a pearl, he wanted a bride that he could present as without blemish, spotless, the church. So what is the church then? To put it simply, we can go to the Bible. The Bible has a way of putting things very simply. And you know this verse. You've heard it probably. It's, it's this Romans 8, 28, maybe you've heard it. And it says, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. What is the church? The church is a collection of people who love God and are called according to his purpose. The church is a gathering of individuals that recognize their sin and believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And anyone, anyone can join. Everyone is invited to stand in his presence through his sacrifice and our belief. The church can appropriately be known as, then, the called ones. We are a group summoned together by God for his purpose. This place is not a human institution. We are not the result of man's ingenuity. We are not the result of man's power. We are not the result of his cleverness of speech. We were not established by good religious people the church is called by god into existence we are a congregation that is called together by god that is our definition that is our identity that is the church so now what the second question we got the church so what what am i doing here now <laughs> what am i supposed to do in light of all of that and that's a fantastic question that all of us ask. doesn't matter if you're new to the faith or old. We all kind of wake up going, Lord, another day of what it is that I'm going to do, and I don't think or feel I should be here. Tell me what to do. What do you want from me today? I'm yours. Use me. And so personally, this is something I've been struggling with for a while, and I don't know if it's a life stage thing uh, or what but i have been trying to in a way do for him for the last say 3 to 5 years and i'm kind of blown away in a way that i got caught up in that i i should have known better i think but i didn't i forgot But I'm having to relearn a long-lost passage from Psalms in answering the question myself, this what-am-I-supposed-to-do-now question. And I think it's a great place for us to start, both individually but also as Grace Covenant Church. It's in Psalms chapter 46, and it says, Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Other translations say, be still. Be still and know that I am God. And in light of that resume, that's a reasonable request, isn't it? Just pump your brakes, partner. He is so good. He knows himself so well, and he knows us too. So his commands are perfect. First, he says, be still and know. Rest in his plan and know that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Period. That's what we do first. Grace Covenant Church, in your prayer, as you go to him, start there. Just the resume in Colossians is a great place to start your prayer. Just to remind you who you're dealing with. What will you do to impress him? So, where do we go now? We start with a be still. What next? Because we're waiting to do something, right? Because he didn't make us to be still. Correct. We start with the still. And then we go from there. After we consider him. Because he's called us to do a number of things. Works. He has called us to walk in works that he prepared for us before the foundation of the earth. Before Tohu Ivohu, before the Spirit of God moved along the waters. Before that, he made works for us to walk in. And they will be exhausting. And they will be trying. And they will be hard. So what comes next? What do we do? After we're still, I think we do this. I think that we need to be ready to remember that whenever he calls us to do, that in everything that we do, that we stand ready to remember who it is that is compelling us and actually working in us to make these things happen. Because yes, orphanages, they will be built. Yes, hospitals. Yes, children's buildings on our campus. Yes, yes. Yes, freed slaves. Yes, liberated nations. Yes, healed marriages. Yes, yes, yes. Works of all kinds and varieties. Yes. But these things, make sure that you remember this. These things are not the substance of the message. The message of Jesus is and always will be Jesus. And his exchange for his righteousness, for our sin. That is the message. All of these other things will come from a life that is subjected to him. And they will serve to set a spotlight on his greatness. Because the called of God will engage the world. Because he is in us. Literally. And he doesn't work through us so that we would lose sight of him. So, but, but rather, so that we would magnify him. The church... Make sure, grace, the church never confuses the fruit for the tree. Before we go, there's a part in the video at the beginning of the sermon that I want to point out. Because I think that we need to just attach an asterisk to it. Or an addendum or a qualification of sorts. This is the part that I'm talking about. The ripple of Jesus' impact can be clearly seen and felt in the church today. The ripple of Jesus' impact can be clearly seen and felt throughout the church today. I understand the sentiment. At the same time, what he just said could be said of Steve Jobs, Thomas Jefferson, and Ernest Becker. The ripple effect of their life and their work can still be felt through the legacy of the institutions that they left behind. But like the rest of us, all of us, their lives are a one-shot deal, one and done, one impact. And then a ripple that expands depending on the weight of that raindrop. Thomas Jefferson's, well, let's, I think Thomas Jefferson's life would have sounded like this. I love, I wish we could do that 10 times. Steve Jobs, Ernest Becker, regardless of the ripple that they made, it's one drop. It's one life. It's one shot. And Jesus is the same way. Because he was only one life. He lived one life. Lived, huh? Or lives. One life, is it one? Or is it more than one? Because the mystery has indicated that he is not only alive with the Father in heaven, but that he is alive in the people of the church on earth, dwelling in every single soul that confesses his name. That's every single soul that confesses his name for 2,000 years every single second. Jesus' life sounds more like this. He is a metaphysical genius. Oh, he gets more than one drop with one expanding ripple. As he lives his life through us. And our drops become his literally. And he has been raining this flood of grace for over 2,000 years. And it won't stop. He said so. There is no greater ripple that we could make than to be a part of that plan. In the coming years in our assembly, grace... The Lord is going to make it rain. Let's pray. Thank you for what you are and what you have done and that we have the privilege to have you in us to make our lives worth something. And remind us of that, Father, because this place has a lot of conflicting ideals and a lot of things that tell us that we only matter unless we produce that we only matter unless we receive the approval of men around us. And Father, for us while we're here with indwelling sin, that is all too easy for us to believe. Remind us of who we are. Lead this church in where we are going. And let us never confuse the works that you have for us, the fruit that will come from you, for you. You are the king. You are the object of our desire and our faithfulness. We love you. It is in Christ's name, your glory, by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.